This is Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras and Jim Toth on 680-CJOB. You know, I am in the Cameron Poitras, Jim Toth doghouse. Uh-oh. You don't want to be there more. I know. It's a lonely, dark, uninviting, unpleasant, and scary place. Hot, humid. I did not mention yesterday was the terrific Tuesday. We're taking Tuesdays back, and you did, noth- you you did nothing I to did bring nothing. it back, Kelly. Nothing. You just left it where it was, dormant, and just sitting there like an, uh, just another day of the week. That texture was right. It was a terrible show. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're on the hump day. We're halfway there. Yeah, it's, it, can we call this a wacky Wednesday? Sure, it sure. is. Sure. We'll Let's do it. One. A whacked out Wednesday or something like that. Uh, Kelly Moore sitting in for Cameron Poitras. Uh, Jim Toth here as well. And somewhat inspired by our conversation yesterday. Because you, know, you can only go around and round the Mulberry Bush so many times on what the Winnipeg Jets may or may not do. I think you guys have just beaten that horse to death, uh, for want of a better term. So try to come up with some different ideas for interesting conversation. And inspired somewhat yesterday by the talk we had with Joe Haggerty of Boston uh, uh, Bruins Hockey Now. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and during the conversation, it was, you know, Patrice Bergeron was the number 45 pick in the 2003 draft. You know, 44 players went before him. Yeah. And now I don't want to go for the all-time history of the draft, but certainly for the current generation. Let, let's start with the year 2000 and work our way to the present. I can't think of another second-round draft pick who who would do what Patrice Bergeron has done, uh, although there are some who are very, very close. And, and this is where it comes in for you, 204-780-6868. Uh, because we'd sure like your participation. Uh, the only name that I could come up with, Jim, uh, that kind of uh, comes close to that uh, for Patrice Bergeron would be Duncan Keith, who was a second-round pick by Chicago in 2002. Yeah, and actually, Kelly, with this list you've compiled, and I love this time of the year to do lists like this and get into things like the history of it and, yeah. and uh, where we're at and what we know. We're also going to talk then. about the Winnipeg Jets all-time yeah. second-round picks too. So. Exactly, and one of my favorite things to do is, like I, I did this a couple, well, a number of years ago, back before Kelly McCrimmon, I think, was just scouting. He wasn't an official GM with the Knights, but was just sort of helping them out. And it was around the time that, well, probably within the year of Dustin Bufflin walking away from hockey. And I said to him, like, what what did your scouts tell you about back then? And and he said, you know what? It was I, I sent more scouts than ever because everyone was split down the middle. One scout would say, this kid has no chance at 14. He's right. too big, overweight. He yeah. likes to eat, blah, 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 blah. And the other scouts were like, if this kid – could come around. He can skate like the wind. He's yeah. he's massive. He can, and so he goes. It was just one of those rare things where it was split down the middle, and it was my decision. I thought I'd take a chance on him. Yeah, I mean, just, and that was a WHL draft. Yeah, certainly during his time with the Winnipeg uh, Jets slash Atlanta Thrashers, uh, I don't know that other than maybe Brent Burns, there was more of a unique 
player for all the right reasons. Yeah. Then, you know, then but, Dustin Buffalo. Now, always remember your favorite guy, Claude Noel's <laughs> description. He's dangerous at both ends of the ice. <laughs> yeah, he's lethal at both ends of the yeah. ice for sure. Um, but my point to that story is I love to look at lists like this yeah. and then go back and hear stories about what they heard, what they saw. Like, yeah. what, There are very good players who go to the second round yes. simply because we needed a defenseman. Yes. So when we drafted him as a forward in the second round, yeah. we you know we were focused on this position, like all the reasoning of why somebody uh, of the Patrice Bergeron ilk, and maybe at that time they're like, well, he didn't do this well, didn't do that well. Mark Stone's a prime example of that. Yeah. I remember when he went in the sixth round, sixth round because he apparently couldn't skate well enough couldn't to skate, play on the national. Could hockey not. League. He won't. Yeah. He won't be able to keep up. He won't be yeah. able to skate. Jason Jaffrey had that moniker to him. Can't sure. skate. And Jaffrey said, he goes, I I can't. It's all about angles with me. Yeah. And he only. Played played seven or so games, but I love hearing why a player, and, and it's not all negative. It's always the reasoning why a player goes in the second round that turns out to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So without further ado, we've already mentioned Duncan Keith from 2002, Patrice Bergeron from 2003. Here are my three remaining members of my top five. And Jim, you have the list in front of you, so you can either say agree, disagree. Yeah. In that same year with uh, Patrice Bergeron, Shea Weber was a second round pick. Uh, and uh, Roman Yossi, also a second-round pick by Nashville. Uh, so uh, clearly the Predators scouts knew what they were doing. And my other top five from the 2011 draft, Nikita Kucherov. Yeah. And so there's my top five, Bergeron, Keith, Weber, Yossi, Kucherov. And again, this is the generational... Uh, right. Time frame of 2000 through 2023. Well, even in that Kucherov year, John Gibson as a second round pick. And I know goalies don't normally even go in the first right. round. John Gibson is in my my uh, my second half of the top right. 10. And, yeah. and it's also interesting, Kelly. So this is, um, you know, 2011. And back in 2011, goaltenders didn't even go in the second round. Right. So it yeah. was just a different. Now, if you can foresee something like that, they would go in the first round and goalies do start going. So I, I would throw John Gibson in there as well. But yeah. for me, it's Bergeron and, and Weber. And I remember covering the WHL series in Brandon when the Kelowna Rockets beat uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings yeah. for the WHL title and interviewing Weber as their captain on the ice on the way to the Memorial Cup. And I could not believe and, he yeah. was a second round pick just given what every Everyone was talking about him at that time. And remember how he and Dion Phaneuf absolutely destroyed yes. Alex Ovechkin yeah. you know, in that world junior. And, I mean, and Weber just, was a key part of that best ever Canadian junior yeah, team. Yeah, and my point to, to saying I interviewed him was just his leadership at that time alone was uh, off the charts. And um, everybody around that series and those that year of the playoffs with Weber, I, I was shocked that he was a second-round pick. Um, you know, creeping into the top five, which I would love to do this again 10 years from now for me, is yeah. a player that I love everything about, and it's Jason Robertson. Yes. Uh, I, I think in coming out of California, I think was a knock on him in 2017. But I think when we revisit this list yeah. maybe 10 years from now, he, I do believe yeah. he will be in the top five of, of who I'm picking. Um, uh, Debrinkat, Carter Hart in 2016, Sebastian Ajo, Rupe Hintz. Pick five, Jim. But I, <laughs> I'm Pick going five. I will, uh, I will go for sure. I mean, leading the way, I think is Patrice Bergeron. Um, Milan Lucci. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Patrice Bergeron. I'm going to go John Gibson for sure. Nikita Kucherov for sure. Roman Yossi for sure. Um, 
You know, I, I am going to go Jason Robertson. I, I'm going to put him in my top my, so as my Duncan fifth. Duncan Keith, a three-time Stanley yes. Cup champion. Yes. A, uh, a, I think a twice Olympic gold medal uh, gold medalist does not make your top five. Then. No, he's probably six for me. Wow. And just because. Wow. Um, what is uh, John, for, for want of the discussion, what has John Gibson do, done that trumps Duncan Keith? He's just, I think he's a better at his position. Okay. I, I think he's a better goaltender. Duncan Keith than, did and, win and an look, Norris Trophy. And has I, John Gibson I, won I a Vezina yet? I know when I has say. Has John Gibson won a Vezina No, he hasn't yet? won okay. anything. Just, but I was just checking. <laughs> uh, this is the way I'll put it. I, I don't want to take anything away from Duncan Keith and all his accomplishments in the Norris and everything else. I do think he was a product of a very good team, and that helped him. I do know he played close to 30 minutes a night in this and that, but I think he was in a very good program. I think John Gibson um, has been in a terrible situation for over yeah. a decade, and I think that even with the numbers he's put up in that terrible situation, vaults him a little higher uh, for what he could be. Duncan Keith is an, was an elite defenseman, but there are a lot more elite defensemen than there are elite goaltenders, and I think John Gibson is a, is an elite goaltender. Okay, no, and, and you know that we're all entitled to how we see it for sure. Gibson heads my uh, list uh, in the top ten, and followed by Sebastian Ajo, Rupe Hints, Alex De, no Jason Robertson, and Alex DeBrincat. The only reason I ha- don't have Robertson ahead of Ajo and Hints is because Sebastian and Rupe have done it a little bit longer than Jason yeah. has. But I agree with you. Jason Robertson is showing that he one day might uh, vault to the top of this list. Let me let me ask you this. Sure. Would you? Who's ahead in your top five, Weber or Keith? Uh, Keith. Keith? Uh, I went Bergeron, yeah. Keith, Weber, Yossi, Kucherov. And, and really, I should probably flop Kucherov and Yossi. Yes, I think yeah, you should. Because yeah. Ku- yeah, because Kucherov, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I have, how I many have Stanley Kucherov Cups second. do you need to win to have respect? Yeah. I have Kucherov second after yeah. Bergeron. I, yeah. I think Kucherov is, if it wasn't for Bergeron, he would be the number one in this second round pick yeah. list for me. 204-780-6868 if you want to weigh in. And uh, just uh, a few texts have already come in. Scott says uh, Pavel Datsuk drafted 171st overall, but... Uh, guys and gals, we are strictly talking about second-round right. picks here. Uh, there's no doubt when it comes to sixth-round picks, Pavel Datsuk is certainly near the top of the list. Same thing for uh, unnamed texter who has uh, Brad Marchand, but he was a third-round pick. So again, yeah, yeah, there's a guy, yeah. yeah, there's a guy that could definitely be uh, among the all-time third-round best picks for the generation. Uh, so... Uh, uh, is our D stronger without 88? Yes, 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 John says. Uh, Dave Christian in 79 was a great second-round number. Yeah, he was for the Jets, but again, we preface this by saying that it's the current generation, 2000 uh, through t- 2023. And yes, Connor Hellebuck, a fifth-round draft pick, not a second-round pick. Hellebuck, uh, without a doubt, again, if we did this for fifth round, you know, Jim, maybe there's an idea here. And I, I would Maybe argue we should be going third, fourth. You know? <laughs> well, th- we've got plenty more shows in August yeah. here if nothing happens around the Jets. But um, another great thing about this is, is like to me, when you find somebody in the fifth or sixth round, if they make the National Hockey League and play for a couple of years, that's yeah. a, that's a win. Exactly. As opposed to the second round or it, or even the third round, if you get a Hall of Famer in the second or third, those are guys that clearly should have gone a little higher. Yep. Whereas at the time of a fifth or sixth round, and, and look, Connor Hellbuck may end up being a Hall of Famer as a fifth round pick, but 
to me, it's it's this is more interesting because it's it's the argument of these guys were going anyway. Yeah, and, and, fifth, and, sixth, seventh yeah. round, you never know if a guy's actually going to go. And I'm always remiss to compare picks from the '70s and '80s, even the '90s for that matter, because you know '90s, you know, we started to have the clutch and grab the yeah. uh, the, the left wing lock. You know, the well, and not only that, New back Jersey then, and that. So, you know, it, it's different types of hockey that were played. Even Datsuk. I think Datsuk was drafted so low because nobody wanted to draft Europeans yeah, that well, high or, or anything. Like, I think it just fell through. Not very many people were scouting over yeah, there at that time. There's a reason Detroit made the playoffs 23, 24 yes. years in a row, and it was because of all those late Because they went to sure. Europe and they yeah, did the work Henrik there. Henrik Zetterberg's another yeah. guy that falls into that category. Jets at noon on 680 CJOB. Kelly Moore sitting in for Cameron Poitras, who's enjoying a little well-deserved time off. A little. Jim Toth never deserves time off, so that's why he's here. He's been gone for months. Well, maybe just a week. Yeah. Again, you exaggerate. Feels Uh, feels like when he's here, it feels like forever. I went way over time. (laughs) Our producer, Jeff... Forge, oh, I'm, I'm not only in. I think yeah. I might be in more trouble with yeah. Jeff than I am with Cam for forgetting terrific Tuesday. But yes, uh, there are. Yes, <laughs> yes Forge's doghouse right. is lower than ours. It's actually underground and stuff. I you're heard, you're I, in big trouble. I man. heard it was thirty floors up. Oh, well, yeah. no, no, not the doghouse. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's his penthouse. That's his penthouse. Gotcha. Uh, but anyway, Troy Terry, Elliot uh, Friedman, uh, tweeting out uh, just before we uh, went to break there uh, that uh, Troy Terry of the Anaheim Ducks, who was scheduled to go to arbitration today, seven years with a seven million average annual salary uh, to remain with the Anaheim Ducks. So good for Troy Terry. Now Trevor Zegras is also a restricted free agent, but without Arbright's. But I, I'm kind of curious. Zeg- uh, sorry, Terry at seven mil. Alex Kalorn at six point two five. John Gibson is up there for the Ducks as well. Jim Toth's uh, top five uh, for the generation uh, yes. all-time uh, second-round second picks. Second-round picks. Where do you think the Zegras number is going to fall? Because like? Anaheim doesn't have to do a bridge deal with him. No, and and they've got some cap room. And it just, like, to me, the Troy Terry deal speaks heavily of you're our guy. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. a He's got back-to-back 60-point seasons, and that's it on his resume. He's 25 years old. He might just be a 60-point guy. I like Troy Terry as a player. I think yeah. he's good. I don't know if he's a $7 million player because I think for that you got to score 70 to 80 points. Yeah. But if he can get there, but to me this well, is locking up their Yeah, but that's guy. also uh, in today's market. Who knows, you know, right, by yeah. year five, six, and seven. That and could he's, be only, the... he's only 32 when that contract expires, so it's not like you're uh, right. to me that, a big That's like, let's lock him up. We like him. He likes it here. He's a name. Yeah. He's, a, he's one of our better players. Um, Alex Kalorn's making 6.25, and that sort of me as a 33-year-old Kalorn going, I've won some titles, I've done this, it's time to make some money. And Anaheim saying, hey, we need a winner yeah, need around a here like that, and stuff, yeah. and we have the cap room. So uh, Zegers is interesting, 22 years old. I- I'm wondering if, I think if they could lock him up to the eight-year deal. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they But will. it would be a huge AAV that he'll take it, and yeah, he'll stay sure. there as well. So um, I don't mind the Troy Terry deal at all. I, I think for the team that he's with, it's a good number. On other teams, I think that 77 mil might be a little might high. Might be a little high, yeah. Uh, well, Trevor Zegra is certainly one of the faces of the National Hockey League for sure. Uh, all right. Uh, joining us here on Jets at Noon, and this is a little bit outside of the topic. Uh, we'll get to more of your text messages uh, uh, after this conversation. But earlier today, 
uh, the University of Ottawa medical faculty and the Eastern Ontario Children's Hospital uh, released uh, a new study uh, that researched body contact or body checking, if you will, uh, and the effects of it uh, in Canadian minor hockey and school leagues as well. Uh, Sometimes they're not always intertwined. And the final result of this was that they're advocating for Hockey Canada to raise the minimum age of body checking from 13 to 15. Uh, Now, I don't coach minor hockey. I don't have any kids playing in minor hockey. Jim doesn't either. But we know a guy who uh, is very, very involved well, in hockey. I have a stepson who's playing the 11-year-old. Yeah. Oh, he's, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So he is, but... but he, he wouldn't be playing in, in body no, no, contact not, not yet. Not yeah, as a 13-year-old, no, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this gentleman also does a great job for us as an analyst on Jets game night coverage. Uh, former Canadian Olympic women's uh, hockey head coach and Brandon Weeking's head coach, and he also played the game Jim and I never have. Uh, Dwayne Gillowoychuk joins us now. Chewy, how are you, man? Doing very well. It just like seems like yesterday that we were sitting getting ready for our Winnipeg Jet games with you two uh, experienced guys talking. I can listen to you guys all day. <laughs> well, we kept you on all day waiting to come on. Yeah. So yeah. I thought you were going to say these guys still like to talk. See, eh? that's Chewy's. That's Chewy's <laughs> subtle coaching. You know, yes. just to say, be hey, better. Bring, bring me in. Hey, so, Coach, I did forward you this uh, this uh, press release, uh, news release, if you will. Uh, from the University of uh, Ottawa Medical Faculty uh, in uh, conjunction with uh, Eastern Ontario Children's Hospital. Uh, you do work with younger age groups as well as kids that would be on this, uh, you know, 13 and 14-year-old range. But what's your, someone who is a hockey lifer, and I don't, and I say that in the most complimentary fashion, uh, what's your immediate reaction to this? Well, you know what, it's it's becoming more and more, you could classify it as a hot topic. Every year it seems to be more and more of these studies that come out, more and more, you know, medical background, medical data that's come back out in the sport of hockey. It doesn't matter on what aspect, there's always going to be that data that's come out because this is how the game of hockey's become. It's become a business, it's become a specialized sport. When you do that, you're going to have these studies. And for this, uh, about the body contact study, for me, it all pertains to the individual player and where they're going to play. Now, players that are, are at that elite level, the, the level where they're going to play in the AAA system or in a, a sports academy where they're demanding they've been asked for it by their parents, by their coaches to play at that level, the AA level, I think those players have to experience the body contact at the age of 13. They have to experience what that's like on how to receive a hit, how to uh, you know, take a hit, but also, you know, how to, you know, perform the right body contact hit in the game. Because if you don't teach them at that age, when they want to keep developing, they're going to get to the age where they're going to be playing against uh, and asked to play against to chase their dreams, chase their goals, to continue their, their development against older players. So those players have to be prepared in that area. Now, for players that are at a lower level at the A1, the house league level, I think this is something that has to dive down deep a little bit more because of their development level. Are they ready for it? Do they still know the fundamentals on, on how to protect themselves, how to be prepared for it? If they're not ready for that, then I would agree 100% that at that level, let the players play the game without the body contact, get in the stick checking, the angles, all that, which is important. Then if they can continue to achieve, and that becomes up to the coaches to continue to achieve them, let them continue to develop at a level where 
they can maybe get to that next level. But they're, if they're at a level where they still need the development, I think the body contact can be taken out. And that's just my experience and, and what I've experienced as a coach and now continued as a hockey uh, you know, consultant here. I, I don't remember the exact year, Dwayne, but uh, if memory serves me correct, we actually bumped it up from 11 to 13 many, many years ago. Did you see any kind of a, a period where kids, uh, you know, had to make that adjustment and their development was affected by it? Well, I think, you know, development was never affected by it from that 11 to 13. I think from that 11 to 13-year-old age group, uh, there's a lot of growing one uh, that goes on with kids. They reach that area where they're getting a little bit stronger. They also reach that uh, point in their careers where, you know, they want to start, uh, you know, doing the summer training. They want to start doing the off-ice training so their bodies continue to start to develop that way. And then in that 11 to 13 age group, you're going to have a little bit of a separation in the skill level and the dedication of players. But for me, the 11, 12 is still an age group where kids are still learning how to skate, still learning their edge work, still learning their balance, still learning their bodies. And there's lots of growth. There's some kids that are 11 years old that are on the smallest on their team. Come Christmas time, when they take the team picture, they're the tallest one in the back row. So I think a lot of that stuff at that age group is still important to realize and adjust to. Yeah, and I'm not an expert like yourself um, of developing young hockey players, but I, I agree with that from what I've seen at the 10, 11, 9-year-old ages. It's the difference in sizes isn't really what's fearful. It's the idea that does a kid know how to turn? Does a kid know how to, you know, work, a, a get turn around and p- pivot? Does his edge work? Is it where it should be before the, this contact comes in? That's interesting that you said you haven't seen any development uh, issues with the raising of the age. And I, I wonder if this does come to fruition in, in the idea of keeping safety, if you might see even more skilled players if the age is lifted um, of no body contact, because that's what the, would allow, it sounds like the development to be is more on the skill aspect of it. I think also it also might keep some more kids in the game of hockey, which we, you know, everybody mm-hmm. loves to play. Right. You know, they're going to keep more kids involved. And like you say, it might be a chance where, you know, a kid wants to continue to play, continue to develop, and then all of a sudden he may be able to play at that double-A level or at that triple-A level, which, you know, hockey is a sport, and that's what the challenge is, coaches and as players. You want to try and get to the best level you can be prepared. And then at that 13-year-old age, that's where a lot of hockey players decide, okay, I want to try and do this. You know, I want to try and go to school. I want to go and try and play junior A. That's when those decisions are made. But from that 11 to 13, there's a lot that goes on, and the development, the skill development, uh, you know, the skating, the balance, the technique and all that is really, really hammered home at that age. And for me, that, that age then equips these players to be better prepared. Like you say, the balance, the agility, um, you know, the, the old classic knee bends, like those things are still, you know, really taught at that age group. And that's where kids really, uh, you know, realize the importance of doing that and how it affects them as a player. The other part of it is the hitting itself, Dwayne, and we hear about, well, they have to learn really young how to take a hit, how to give a hit properly to to keep everybody safe. Do you buy into that? Do you buy in that once they do hit, regardless of the age, that it's important to teach how and when and, and, and that kind of stuff about the hitting in the game? A hundred percent. You've got to be aware, you know, if you're the player that's going to be the person to, uh, you know, uh, you know, performing the hit, the body contact, you've got to be aware, one, of the player you're playing against. Are they in a vulnerable position? So that's stuff that is taught 
uh, you know, in the game of hockey right away at the young age when they're first brought into body contact. Is the player that you're going to make contact with, are they in a vulnerable position? Uh, where are they on the ice? Do they have their head down? Now, the game of hockey happens so fast, but you've got to give the players some key ingredients and checkpoints very quickly to see because you tell a player, you know, uh, if you're going to, you know, perform a hit on somebody, you're going to be on the other side of that puck sometime, and you hope there's going to be the respect factor. And I think that's got to be really hit home with players nowadays. But also, you've got to teach players that, you know, when you're going to get hit, you're going to feel that pressure. You know, protect yourself by pushing back. Protect yourself by getting close to the boards. You know, all those different things. So I think it's really important about educating our players and educating everybody on the ice on how to, how to you know, protect themselves but also just like how to do a proper slap shot that everybody wants to know, how to do the crossovers like Connor McDavid. I think it's really important for everybody to know about the proper techniques of body contact. Hey, Chewy, uh, this could go on for a lot longer, but I know you have to get back to work, and the producer's already whispered in my ear, break, break. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks a bunch for doing this, and we'll look forward to uh, September the 24th when we'll uh, be working together uh, for the Edmonton Oilers Winnipeg Jets preseason opener. Can't wait, and then uh, you two guys uh, stay nice and cool, and I can't wait to see the new hairdo there, Mr. Toth. <laughs> Trust me, Dwayne, don't build it up. It's not worth getting hyped up for. It is. It's just a different color, unfortunately, <laughs> at this stage, yeah. but it'll be there. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's Dwayne Gillowoychuk, uh, part of our outstanding uh, crew of analysts. He and Trevor Kidd, and we're also going to unveil a new member uh, to our staff this year. Oh, great. Year. J.P. Vigier is coming yeah, on board with JP, us. Yeah, J.P. awesome. There's another guy that you know you could talk hockey with all day right. long so committed to the game rather so that's why we're happy to have him on joining the likes of Jim Toth, Christian O'Mell and John Shannon as And that well. was great from um uh to learn that because I remember when the age was first put in before body checking and stuff Yeah it years was 11 ago. and 12 that they right. took it out 13 became the minimum age And yeah. I would right then and there I'm like all these opinions but let's yeah. give it a couple years and that's great to what Dwayne said I don't see any harm in the development yeah. stages at all so that's great to know right like that's what I think it's it does this harm the development does it not? It's interesting to hear that it actually might increase development overall. Jets at noon on 680 CJOB. Just before I get to a Jets question for you, Jim, uh, from the uh, text line, 204-780-6868. Adam, who was uh, just, uh, uh, no, this wasn't from Adam, rather. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, just listening uh, in to our conversation with Dwayne Dillowoychuk. I can't believe they're thinking about moving hockey hitting up to the age of 15. It's been recommended. Nobody's thinking anything. This is the University of Ottawa Medical Faculty of Medicine and the Eastern Ontario Children's Hospital who've done the research and are putting this as a recommendation. So I, now I, now it'll go to the thinking stage. And I want to ask why, because... Yeah, well, I just you, want to finish Adam's sure, text yeah, real quick. Sorry. When it comes to football, we're teaching crunchers U10 how to hit and how to get hit. Some of these boys are as young as eight years old. I truly believe this is the problem. We're waiting too long to teach them how to do it properly. By the time we're teaching him, let's be honest, a 15-year-old can be 180 pounds plus. If you teach them when the child is... 80 pounds, they will know how to do it properly when they are at the bigger weight and stronger strength. You can practice learning how to hit and be hit properly. Uh, what they're saying is maybe under game conditions that uh, you would want to wait for this. Yeah, but. look, I'm all look, I'm old school. I love big hits. I love open ice hits. I tweet all the time when there's a big hit and a penalty given. I'm like, that's a clean hit. It's not a penalty. Jacob Trube is still doing it. He's old school, stuff like that. But I don't understand this um, from the texter. Why? 
We're yeah. not. We're, if you see where the game is at right now, it's so rare that that's that's in the game, and when it is, it's being penalized. Yeah. Um, football doesn't practice tackle. NFL camps have been going for two weeks, and they're saying next week we're putting pads on. Well, they had pads on earlier this week at Buffalo because Demar Hamlin had them on. Well, so, well yeah. I mean pads yeah, to hit, like oh, four pads. They'll yeah. have the pads, but not yeah. the pan, pan yeah. pads and the hip yeah. pads. Yeah. Paul Apolice started this. Yeah. He's like, I'd rather a guy get injured in a game than in practice. Yeah. But my point to this is, is I, I just I, I'm all about the development. Yeah. And if it's not hindering hitting later in 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 your your yeah. age group and your skill is developed, I'm all for it. We're do, we'll maybe continue this conversation sure. on tomorrow because we're just about running out of time. And I wanted to get this on uh, something I'd like to see, but will never happen. Well, never say never. Might not ever happen. <laughs> uh, Jets power play pretty iffy since Buff left. Would agree with that. Need a bomb from the point. Would fully endorse that. Uh, in the preseason, I'd like to see the Jets try Logan Stanley on the point on the power play. Heavy shot, accurate. And the other thing I'd add to that is he has that innate ability to get it through. To well, he does. I mean, yeah. he's scored. He's had a two-goal game uh, yeah. in the playoffs against Montreal. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's interesting. I, I think the power play will be very fascinating this year without Blake yeah. Wheeler. And um, uh, I, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see how it works. And it's got to be better. Yeah. I am so sorry I can't get to all of your questions. I'll answer them off the air. Uh, we're out of time. Great suggestion, though, uh, from uh, a texter. Uh, the top 10 undrafted players. I love that. Should we do that tomorrow? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it tomorrow. Top 10 undrafted yeah. oh, players oh, in the I National just, Hockey League. I just broke the phone. Oh, <laughs> so angry. Jets at noon on 680 CJOB.